Well, hello there, everyone. Hello there again. It is time for Left Up to Breakfast here on 3CR, your only radio left and here for 2018. Yes, I know it's February, but to me it's a start, and to all of us here at the Left Up to Breakfast team, it's the start of the new year. So good morning to you all. Good morning to Glenn, my co-host from CoHealth. Glenn. Good morning, Susanna. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to 2018 CE. Yes, it is CE, uh, which is a common era. Correct. I'm always correcting people who write bloody AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Well, um, my dear, the Lord left my mindset many, many moons ago not to return. How's your um, respite been over the summer? Have you done much of interest? My my respite. Oh, I, re- I had to quickly turn off the microphone because I almost said I used an expletive, as they say. What's expletive would you use? It's. it's um, I'm not going to say. That's why I quickly turned <laughs> off the mic. Curious. Almost got me. Almost got me mm. there. It. It. Uh, it reminded me of an old sort of English joke where this Englishman says to a fellow traveller, "You're looking forward to summer," and the uh, sort of traveller answers, "I'm from Scotland." And this is all supposed to make you roll over laughing. Really? They, but they do have Scotland in summer in, in many... They, they do have summer in Scotland in many places in Scotland. In many places in Scotland they have summer, sometimes lasting for three full days. So it's no joking matter. No, but did I have a respite? While I've been away, I broke my bloody glasses. Okay. And I'm waiting to have them done while you leave your garbage glasses. I can manage without them, but I'm, I keep bumping into walls. But, yeah, I broke one of my hearing aids. What? What's that deceptive hearing aid? So I'm now blind and deaf. I'm still, I'm about three quarters of the way through this extensive, extensive mm. dental reconstruction. It's like... Mm. No skyscraper you've ever seen. The bridge like the Great Big Viaduct over Milo. It's like the San Francisco Golden Gate. So so I can't speak either. Some of the time people often go to the cinema to sort of avoid the heat. Oh, There's yes. some nice cinemas. One of my favourites is The Sun in Yarraville. The Lovely Sun. Art Deco Cinema. It is your lot 936 Deco again. Not only the prices, but the deco is fantastic. The sun in mm, Yarraville. So is it like in the big main drag? It's not a main drag. It was like Yarraville is a small streets, but um, it's not far from the there's railway no station. There's no main drag in Yarraville. No, there's a few streets. Really? No, there's no main drag. It's a small oh, inner western suburban locality. But um, I um, I saw a marvellous movie at the Sun Yarraville. I, I approached it with trepidation. Was it in the afternoon or something? Well, I mean, I mean tell us. Tell yeah, me well, the story. Summertime, it's after work, oh, Christ, it's too hot to go home. Oh, it's Monday, cheap flicks. I'll go to the Sun. And what's all? I looked around. Uh, I saw a film. I thought, oh, no, this, I could not watch this. I thought, this fills me with trepidation. Well, what, a movie called The Darkest Hour. The Darkest Hour. The Darkest you know Hour. That's about... Um, uh, Hang on, Churchill That's mentioned the, that. That bore me. That was, I that's saw a poster or a flyer or even an ad or something. It was a vomit. And there was a big full head of Churchill and I immediately turned off, felt feel like I, I was the same as you. I thought, okay, I, I will not go see this. I thought, oh, mm. what, what, it's quarter five. What else is on there? Oh, okay, it's Monday. It's cheap film. I'll swallow my pride and see the darkest air. What an extraordinary film. What an amazing... Gary Oldman plays Churchill, and Gary Oldman portrays Churchill as a pig, as a boar. Gary, Gary Oldman. British actor. He had all these prosthetic um, devices. Put Gary Oldman. Sorry, can I just say, yes. Gary Oldman, Sid Vicious. Ah, well, this is a different different incarnation. Of well, Gary this is 30 years ago, wasn't it, when he, it was. played, when he played Sid, Sid Vicious? Sid and, I saw Sid and Nancy in the 80s. But Gary Oldman plays Churchill, and Churchill is a repulsive man, as we know. Well, he, but an yes, amazing film. Cause the darkest hour is that period in May, June 1940, when, um, the, now we know, and I'll touch upon more about this as we proceed in the story, the British had tried for a long time to placate appease Hitler and his Nazis. And the uh, the British Prime Minister was the man who was best for now that wonderful slogan, Peace in Our Times. Chamberlain, even Chamberlain. I know that. Even yes. I know that. And he's, um, his foreign secretary was a man, he was born Edward Wood in 1881. 
He was the fourth son of a second Viscount Halifax. Lord Halifax was his foreign secretary under Chamberlain. And in the British ruling class, or in their parliament representatives, there were schisms between people like Chamberlain and Halifax, who wanted to, um, let's strike a deal with Mr Hitler. Let's, uh, let's a divide. deal? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the bulldog spirit, that's a mythology, my dear. They were happy to will and deal with Mr Hitler. And um, there were others like Anthony Eden and Churchill who were a bit... They were prepared to wheel and deal a little bit, but just a little bit, not as much as Halifax and Chamberlain. And that's what the film's about. And, um, I want to touch about Halifax today. So it's about this sort of... A few weeks in the middle of 1940, when Churchill replaced Chamberlain as a British PM and the machinations in the British Parliament about trying to strike deals for Nazis to um, get out of the war. It sounds quite an amazing film. It is an amazing movie. It is highly recommended. Well, thank you, Glenn, because when you re- recommended films, I found your recommendations are spot on. Now, Halifax, he was um, he good primary school, so good private school education. Went to Eton, Christchurch, University of Oxford. He became the uh, Conservative Party MP for the seat of Ripon in 1910. They had that seat for quite a period of time. Now, in World War One. He was an officer in the British military, but retained a seat in Parliament. So he's on the Western Front. Yeah. Was an MP. He served. A, I know it's. He can't, but he couldn't have been he, on the Western Front then. He was. He couldn't have been. <laughs> he was. He was. He was back in, He was an officer in the Queen's own Yorkshire Dragoons, which was nicely settled in a yes. little village outside of somewhere in the back outside line of, of Amiens. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, he um he stayed as an MP to the twenties. He had the issues. Um, he's one of those who split away. They didn't like the leadership of David Lloyd George, and I can't recall the specifics. But there was a schism in the Conservative Party, and uh, Lord Halifax opposed David Lloyd George, and he um he left Parliament for a while. He um he decided to take a title of the Lord Irwin. He was he was Mr Wood, but he became Lord Irwin before he became Lord Halifax. Yeah, well and, that's yeah, well yeah. He must have reached a certain age. He was, um, by this time, he was in his 40s. Oh, well, then one of um, his brothers has fallen off the, the mm. perch. His father, but no, well, he, well, his dad was still alive, so he hadn't reached Lord Halifax yeah, well, yet. Well, yeah, but one of his brothers would have fallen off the perch. A number of his brothers died in the early in Oh, all right, I'm then. Not, I'm just filling in the gaps. I'm just trying to think mm. that there's bloody nobility and they can change their names because they come into different well, titles. Well, in the movie, he was Lord Halifax. That's all probably right, the best name. Okay. But he spent time in India in the 20s. And, just um, trying to find out. He became that? quite close to Gandhi. He um he was prepared to move Gandhi and discuss Indian Independent Indian changes, and him and Churchill clashed viciously. Churchill called Gandhi a fakir. He had no time for Gandhi. Churchill, we know that Churchill's racism. Churchill was one of the worst walkers yes, well. of the 20th century. And him and, him and uh, Halifax had these serious schisms over India and the role of the British, the role of how India should be run, and um, no time for Gandhi being. Why are you talking about the fakir? He'd say to, to Halifax. Well, he, he did. And he, he, he had a report for India, which he maintained the rest of his life. He came back to the UK after the death of his father in the early 1930s, and he became Lord Halifax. He spent time in the bureaucracy. He, was he became in, Halifax. That's his name. Lord Halifax. Hall, Lord Halifax. Just Halifax. Okay, Halifax. He's a Halifax. In the movie, he's Lord Halifax. I'm being, I'm being pretty Oh, heady. because they have, have a wider audience. He was the head of the, um, head of the president of the Board of Education in 1932. Um, he did not believe we should have schools training servants and butlers. It's what, what, what a waste of time, you know. Mm-hmm. Why should you train them to go to school? If you're going to be servants and butlers, why school them? Yes, precisely. This was the ruling class mentality. He yes. had no qualms. He, um, <laughs> this is what he was like, a vile man. And he spent time, he became a, went from the bureaucracy back to the war office. And um, he, he was quite happy with the arrival of Mr. Hitler and Nazi Germany. And he became involved in a group. They were called the um, the Cliveden set. The Cliveden set. Nancy Astor, her husband Wardoff Astor, Lord Halifax, Philip Henry Kerr, Geoffrey Dawson, Lionel Curtis, Neville Henderson. Uh, they were people involved in the owners of the Observer paper, editors of the Times, the High Conservative Party, and they were all um, supporters of having a, a close link to Nazi Germany. Well, this was the British ruling class in the 1930s. Well, they kept the damn commies under. On, on they did. Yeah. They did. Halifax went to Germany in the first one, 1936. He, uh, he told his friend, Henry Channon, he lost all the leaders, even Goebbels, was impressed. 
interested and amused by the visit. He thinks the regime is absolutely fantastic. This is 1936. Now, Hitler's been in power three years. Um, communists, unionists, socialists, disabled people being locked away at the stage. What's happening straight away? There's no elections, no free media. Hitler was crushing the air, but Halifax thought, yeah, very amusing, very impressive. And um, and this group's Clive and Set had a series of people meeting regularly, and they became they were they were pushing for more close links to Nazi Germany. They wanted a, they wanted talks on future relations. We wouldn't we're not going to fight the Nazis. We're not going to fight for the League of Nations. We won't fight for the Europeans. We should be friends of the Nazis. And Halifax, uh, he portrayed this view in the British ruling class. It was important to build strong links with Mr. Hitler. He had some strange quirks, but he was a good man essentially. And this viewpoint wasn't uncommon. Um, well, he knew how to deal with those trade unionists. I did. He, he jailed them and killed them. Jailed them and killed and them. Well, that fixed the problem, didn't it? Well, that was fine. I mean, the, the British are happy to save it. Just one option. And uh, we know, that, again, he, Halifax returned to Germany in 1937. Uh, Chamberlain had replaced Baldwin as PM. And Halifax met Hitler, Goebbels and Goering. And it was a well, there's a trio well, for you, Hitler, Goebbels and Goering. And in his diary, Halifax said... Although as much in the Nazi system has offended British opinion, I'm not blind what he's done for Germany and his achievement from his point of view of keeping communism out of the country. So there were criticisms, but he was happy with that. And, um, and yeah, we, they knew at the concentration camps. They were in place. The British knew those things. And the British were happy to wear those things. Uh, there's talk you know, about deals for two countries. Um, but maybe we can give the Germans part of Europe if they let us have our own colonies. There's always talk, already talks of dividing Europe up after the war. Now, the Treaty of Versailles had been quite painful for Germany. They had lost land. They had paid huge repatriations. It had destroyed Germany in many ways, creating the ground for Hitler and his, his politics. And um, we know... Fertile ground. Fertile ground. And the Clive and Set, who were the main players on the scenes, they were directing British foreign policy about building stronger links with the Nazis and Mussolini's fascists, sorry? I was thinking um, Clydeson said, didn't hmm. the king have um, connections with the Clydeson said? I'm just trying to see, is he mentioned there? Or was it um, his alleged girlfriend? Quite possibly. That American woman. We know like people like Geoffrey Dawson from the Times, the um, Alexander... I'm sure I've come across somewhere, it was her... I wouldn't Wallace be, Simpson. I wouldn't be surprised. It's not mentioned in the articles here. But she was I, friends with Mary Astor. Hmm. Well, they were all they were thick as thieves. They believed Hitler was good. Thick as thieves. Now, that's a really wonderful expression and very hmm. apt, isn't it, listener? Thick as bloody thieves. It is. And the media at the time, because the media barons were all supported Hitler, they, they wrote good articles about the links with Germany and ourselves and how the communists have been crushed and how Hitler's restored Germany to its place. And, um, and got the workers in their place. But I'm sure it was said, and who they're talking to, of course, is small business people, as well as big business yep. people. Well, the small business types, you know, are always the backbone of fascism. Yes, they are. Anyway, yes, they are. in 1938, there were schisms in the British ruling class. Anthony Eden wasn't supportive of appeasement. Eden was um, like, no, no, there's some issues here, but no, no. Chamberlain refused. No, we need to appease. We need to settle Hitler. So Anthony Eden resigned. And in the movie, he's portrayed as, um, as Churchill's good friend. And Churchill and Eden were very close. Halifax took over Eden's role. And Halifax kept meeting again with um, people like Kurt von Schutzig, the Austrian Chancellor. And there were small meetings about what do we give Hitler by placating him. And again, they, um, we know that the Germans were allowed to march into Austria, are invited in, a la la. And that was forbidden by the Treaty of Versailles. It was quite clear under Versailles that Germany and Austria could not be unified as one. Well, they were. And Churchill and... Well, they were. Well, they became, yeah. Yeah, they became, just, this, Here we go, we're, we're, we're bonded together. Fait accompli. Hmm. Churchill and Eden opposed this. They said to you know, Halifax Chamberlain, take action. They refused to. No, 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 we, we don't want a war. We don't want any wars. We, Mr Hitler's not a bad man. We'll accept this. So Churchill and Eden are already taking their stance against Chamberlain and Halifax and the appeasement stuff. Uh, there was further meetings held with Lady Edith Snowden, for the Lady Astors, who had links of the Nazis. And, uh, and with Wallace Simpson. And they were... The king. And Hitler wanted... Hitler was a agreeable. The, the main person Hitler wanted to liaise with was Halifax. There was a sense of great minds being on the same page. So 37 becomes 38. There's more appeasements. 
and uh, there was leaks made, and um, in the late 38, the Sudetenland, part of Czechoslovakia, the Nazis wanted to have that as part of their control. And there was a big talk held on September 29, 1938, where Chamberlain, Hitler, Daladier from France, Mussolini, Italy, would sign the Munich Agreement, which gave Germany the Sudetenland. Or send it across. Well, it all sounds very reasonable to me, and everyone stays at home. Trade doesn't get upset. People can still keep shopping. They did. And Churchill came back, Chamberlain came back on the plane, wide the paper. Peace in our time. Peace in our time. We've given over Sudeten land, Hitler wants no more. Six months later, he took over Czechoslovakia. And Churchill's like, hang on, this is the best army in Europe. We've lost the best army in Europe, the Czechoslovakian army. What are we doing? And Chamberlain's like, oh, we've got to settle him down. Look, I'm not even going to mm-hmm. ask why the Czechoslovakian army, which is two countries after all, why they had the best army well, in I, Europe. I, I mean, this is what I'm reading, commented Churchill and stuff. You well, know? it's just a wonder, isn't it? And uh, Hitler, and also back in England, there, there were sections of the media who were critical of um, Hitler. We know that Halifax spoke to a number of cartoonists and editors about, you know, just telling down your cartoons. Let's portray Hitler in a more positive light. We don't want to have Mr. Hitler offside. Stop and, those silly cartoons. That's right. And um, by 1939, we'd seen Sudetenland had gone. Austria had gone. We'd, we'd lost Czechoslovakia. Treaty of Versailles had been torn to pieces. The Minigram had torn to pieces. Hitler had no desire to comply with any agreements. No. He wanted to do his own thing. Yeah, did, um, mm-hmm. did you see... Well, of course, I know we are talking about... Um, we started off with a film that Glenn Thorin gave his review on. He gave it a good five-star recommendation Indeed. to a film called The Darkest Hour. And we ended up talking about one of the characters portrayed in the film, Lord Halifax, and this sort of, all the sort of machinations of the... And a shady set called The Clived and set yes. a bunch of people, puppet, you know, string pullers, lots of money, money here, and... Big business and heaven knows what, all mutting around talking about how to appease Hitler. It all makes really good sense. Um, well, it does actually when you think about it. It does for those It does people. to them. It did, and it did to them. They saw their enemy as Soviet Russia. It isn't that they're just willfully, viciously stupid people. No. And it's not because they're really evil, malicious people either. They're just saying, well, it's fine, I'll be right here. It's a bit like. I'm okay, Jack, but... Hitler poses no threat to my class. Stalin does. We must oppose the Soviet Union. He Uh, opposes no threat to hmm. my class, and I think that's what we can look at for a lot of... um, As I said, they took Austria, they took Sudetenland, Czechoslovakia, they broke Treaty of Versailles, they tore apart the Munich Agreement six months after it was signed, and even when they invaded Poland, the British waited 48 hours, like, okay, finally we're going to act, and the British declared war. And we, the period from the declaration of war on September 3, 1939, till the darkest hour set in May 1940, was the phony war, where the British went out of their way not to have armed conflict. There was a Norway campaign in 1940, one of Churchill's military disasters, which, and that was only, the, only real hot action for about eight months. And the British and the Germans behind the scenes met and they talked and they exchanged information. How do we divide the world? How do we settle? They did not want a war. There's overtures made. And Hitler decided, well, no, I'm strong enough to say, sod you and I'm going to keep going. So okay, I'm, well, that's. Yeah, well, this is how the people rule the world. It really has mm. nothing to do with us. It really has never, ever had anything to do with us, Glenn. No, no ever. Right from the start, like from from 500,000 years ago, it wasn't really... <laughs> well, we never had much of a say. It was always some bloody bullies and real smart assholes, really, who got themselves entrenched the funny in power and kept it there. Mm. And which there is really no difference. We still don't have much of no. a state. Well, the phony war finished May 10, 1940, when Hitler invaded the lowlands. And we know that Nazis rolled through Luxembourg, Belgium, Holland. They cut France to pieces. Poor little Belgium. They cut France to pieces. Now, Chamberlain, who had peace in our time, had resigned. Who becomes PM? The machinations were Halifax or Churchill. And this film, I recommend The Darkest Hour, plays the machinations behind the scenes. Which way did the British ruling class turn? And Churchill himself, Churchill wasn't about, you know, the, the warmonger who wants to fight, fight, fight. Yes, he was a warmonger, but he also was prepared to do deals with the Nazis. 
He wasn't going to go as far as Halifax, but he was prepared to do deals with the Nazis to at least bring the war in on British terms. But the Nazis weren't interested. But if it was over Halifax or nobody. Mm, and Halifax yeah, well. didn't get the main position of power. And again, it's intriguing. Um, there's an episode. It wasn't just the British ruling class who wanted to settle. The Australian ruling class in, um, in 1940, where are we here, my dear? The Australian Prime Minister, Mr Menzies, wrote to High Commissioner in London, Stanley Bruce. But Churchill, you know Stanley so, Bruce? Uh, he was a High Commissioner in London at the time. That was a bloody former Prime Minister, That's isn't right. it? The, man, the first man... The nasty Mr. little Magoo, bloke. First man before Mr. Magoo who lost his seat in the election. Yes. The seat of Flinders in 1929. Well, he was the High Commissioner in London, and Churchill wrote him... So Menzies wrote to Bruce saying, Churchill is a menace and a publicity seeker. And then Britain, France, Germany, Italy should make peace and then combine together against the Bolsheviks. Of course, and combine together against the Bolsheviks. Now, Mendes would sing Churchill's praise on the highest stage, but not that's in public. Behind the scenes, he felt Churchill was a warmonger. Let's settle. Let's, let's have peace. And we can fight the Bolsheviks. Glenn, you're not disclosing here that Menzies, that Menzies, Prime Minister Menzies... That's him. Said one thing in public and the, the the opposite in private correspondence. He did. So he was a liar, and uh, a two faced liar. It might be hard to believe he was a liar. Yes. I hope you're not inferring from this that other politicians who have followed in his footsteps could possibly be two faced or, or liars have, or both. But I'm not seeing the proof. But Menzies wrote to Bruce saying, uh, "It's Churchill's a warmonger. Let's let's remove him and uh, let's have let's have settlement." With, and we're united yeah, with the Bolsheviks. Nothing's changed very much, except we don't really stab each other in Parliament anymore no. outside the um, outside the theatre of Pompeii. But still the same thing. I saw only recently, possibly, well, late last year, mm. another film of some wonderful Parliament somewhere in some God-knows-where country that used mm. to be the Soviet, where they've all jumped up and they're all punching each other and kicking each other <laughs> to death in the Parliament. And I saw a Japanese one. A good two years ago where they were doing the same thing. They started pounding each other with ornaments on their mm. desks and it was wonderful. They really, I thought, this is what Parliament's about. None of this polite well, stuff. Pre- pretty much through through the first, maybe the first 10, 12 months of World War Two, there were key elements of the British ruling class wanting, trying, endeavouring to make peace of the Nazis. Good, and there's a film that explains it all to it you. It explains it. That's explains all of it. It explains it for yeah, a bit. But, but that's a bit sexy. It can... wasn't until... I mean, in the movie, had Churchill talking to Roosevelt. Roosevelt's, oh, no, we don't want to be involved. No, no. Roosevelt ums and ahs. But by July 1940, it was clear the Americans weren't going to be involved officially, but they'd give boats and weapons. Yeah, okay. So that's... Once, did, once Churchill knew the Americans would support the English... He decided he would not support the appeasement process. The film, the film doesn't say that explicitly. No, but it's a good to film to watch to get some background on it because I really didn't know much about it. I just know that I loathe, despise Churchill, and the same sort of as the same slug-like venom oh, that other me. people have. But anyway, that's a good review about the film. Thank mm. you very much, Glenn. The um, the mm. darkest hour. Yes, that's my um, um, two bobs worth. Well, it was about bloody nine bobs worth, I reckon. Well, worth it, I say. Mm, probably nine and sixpence. That's what there. And, um, okay, nine and sevenpence halfpenny. That's okay, yes. Fair enough. Um, so I'm just laughing at the halfpenny. It's been a long time since I've seen a halfpenny. Not that, and we didn't even have farthings in, in our day. But. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that reminds me. There's a really good um, TV series I've been watching um, on iTunes. Have you now? Uh, SSGB. Oh yes. It's uh, an alternate history sort of. It's um, the Germany has won the war, mm-hmm. and it's 1943. I think the the year is. In England, and it's all, it's, I watched it because it's a detective story. I like mm. detective stories. This man's a detective superintendent at Scotland Yard. He's the main character. But, of course, he has to work with the German forces. They've mm. occupied. They're big sort of you know, swastikas all over Scotland Yard and Buckingham Palace and various places like Nelson's Monument just to, you know, keep you smiling. And he has to has, also has to work with the SS, mm. and it's all about tensions and things. And mm. go, but it's an interesting thing, and it, it's just another way of looking 
what could easily have happened if the Battle of Britain had not been won. Yes. It was so as these few well, those few oh, were, in, in the movie he makes his speech, you see that that following on the beaches, he does that speech oh, yeah, in Parliament. Well, yes, but that's the one but it's just a really good uh series. It's called SSGB. It was a book that I read by Len Dayton. Oh, a good 30 years ago I read it. And, that, and it was called, the book was SSGB too. But the story of that book, Len Dayton, if you've read that book, if you're a Len Dayton fan too, God, we haven't heard from Len for years, not since the wall came down. But you may know it, SSGB. It's got a different story though than the series, SSGB. Those few who flew in the Battle of Britain came from all over the world. It was Czech pilots, Polish, French, Australians... Canadians. Was there an Irish one? Paddy Finnegan. Paddy Finnegan was an Irish pilot. Yes, Paddy Finnegan was killed. Sorry, you're serious? Yes, Paddy Finnegan. Paddy Finnegan was a famous pilot. He was died in 1942 or 43. He flew RAF and flew the art of RAF. He was an Irishman and, yeah. There were Irish who served in the forces. It's, I was just checking. I was just checking. Ireland was officially neutral during the war years under De Valera. Yes. And, again, I, and still, De, De Valera is greatly to blame, Glenn. Oh, I, I'm not a fan of De Valera's, but um, even World War II, some of the Nazi overtures to the British were made to be Nazi ambassador in Ireland. There was links everywhere to get settlements, you know. What do you want for settlement? Okay, we tend to have Gibraltar and they might have Somalia. Well, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Gibraltar. That's what I was saying. Make Malta, I mean, this part of a settlement. Malta would be nice too. It's a bit crowded. I'll just clear some well, people Well, they didn't out. take it because Mussolini, Hitler, Churchill and Hevros did not settle on the terms of peace treaty. But um, an amazing film. Darkest Hour, I highly recommend it. Anyway, we're back for another year, my dear. We've got some other anniversaries to cover this year. This year is 50 years since the, the guns fell silent on the Western Front. Is it? Well, a lot of stories the last few years on the World War One themes, and um, this month, so it was February. F- no, November nineteen eighteen. The guns oh, silence this year. Oh, of course, it was because that's the bloody date, isn't it? The date that they hang Ned. Yep, and they sung, uh, sucked golf. Mm. But anyway, we'll do some stories this year. I mean, I might, I might discuss this strange trip mutinies again, and also not just war, World War One. Is um, with the Australian involvement in the undeclared war in Vietnam. Looking at the fifth anniversary of a lot of things. It's in two years from there was the first moratorium. Oh, am I so old? We've got the fifth <laughs> we've got the July four demonstrations, the Dreyfus's Union, the Dreyfus's movement. All these are fifty years ago. And um, where are we hearing about these? We're not talking the about number these of things. things. But yes, it's just uh, the last since uh, the start of nineteen fifteen not nineteen fifteen, but since the start of twenty fifteen, when you concentrated a lot on nineteen fifteen. I've noticed that uh, this history segment mm. of Left After Breakfast on 3CR has been noted for talk of the war, discussion stories mm. behind the war that you won't hear anywhere else. Mm. And I noticed that the numbers were coming up and the queries were coming in and more requests about war. So I'll be pleased to let the listener know that we're hearing more about war, stories that you won't read in the Herald Sun or in The Age... And you, you won't, won't hear him on Radio National anymore, there unfortunately. No, no Anzac mythology here. No Anzac mythology. No Anzac mythology. This is like a, this is Anzac mythology free zone. Yeah, we can discuss the and then the brave Australian trips. That's, that's covered elsewhere in the world. We have to cover that. But again, no, no jingoism. We can discuss the Rose's son on for more or the, uh, the trip mutinies. These things happened, which you don't hear about. Um, anyway, that's probably enough for me. I'll, I'll, go, to, okay. I'll go to work soon, my yeah, But when you say jingoism, mm-hmm. it always makes me think of Rudyard Kipling and the old musical songs. Yes, well, his son died in World War I. They never but found his son, did they? We don't want to go to war. But by, Jill, but by jingo, if we do, hmm. we've got the men, we've got the guns, we've got the money too. And they did, and they wasted them. So that's enough from Glenn for a Friday. It's the first... Left after breakfast for 2018 CE. I'm going to head off to work soon, listeners. I've got a, I have to be a wage slave. I've got a job to do. So until I return next Friday, you are listening to Susanna Duffy's Left After Breakfast on 3CR, your only radio left. Chocula. Chocula. Hoi there, shipmates. This is Captain Trash from the Port Phillip Echo Center in St Kilda. Did you ever hear the crow in the sky going, ah? That's the
stands for reuse, reuse, recycle. And you heard it first on 3CR. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. (laughs) 3CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Oh, dear listener, here we are. It is, as, as I said before, it is 2018 and important to us here um, in the studios of Left After Breakfast. And I'm just going to say, of course, the person you hear panting there is Irene Bolger. Good morning, Irene. Good morning, Miss Suzanne, and good morning, Mr. Bagman. Good morning, uh, Irene. Good morning, Susan. Now, listen, just before, I'm sorry, I have to do this. And besides, I'm driving the panel here, You're so you really don't have much anything. choice. <gasps> She's got bossy. She's issues. sorry. Yeah. My God. Before we start, bosses, before we start, and listen, Bagman, before we start, I just want to say something, and I don't want it to go any further. Um, right. Oh. <laughs> and Irene. Yes. I'd like you to sort of keep it to yourself too. Uh, Sub yes. Rosa, okay? Sub Rosa. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Bagman, now remember, no. Just keep keep this quiet. Remember that furniture you helped me pick up that day from the auction rooms, that ex office furniture? Oh, remember I've that? Heard about that. Remember, and there was a chair and uh, some bookshelves. Remember, there were a couple of filing cabinets. That's right. Remember, they were locked and you said they're worthless. They're locked That's and I right. said, oh, I did. they're cheap. I did. <laughs> well, you know, they're still, I've still got them, Stu, you know where. What should I do with them? Uh, you should come and have a look and tell you. Yeah. There's a, there's a new television program apparently coming out. Uh, it's called I'm a Filing Cabinet. Get me, Get out, me of out of here. here. I think we should come over and just assess. <coughs> will. Have you opened them yet? No, 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 no. no. I'm a bit, well, no. I think we should assist you and, and just assess the contents. Yeah. And then let it all out to the public as they're entitled to know about it. Don't say government Because it's... This has got the government department name stamped on yeah. it, and well, and they might claim it's their property. Anyway, look, look, forget yeah. I said that. Yeah, so keep it to yourselves. But we Any, hide it then. But yeah. do you? I just wondered: do government departments sell off old furniture like that? Do they have to scrape some funds together? Don't they know about chook raffles? <laughs> you know, and <laughs> why do they have to bring in all these bloody sort of auctioneers when they've got someone like Malcolm Trumbull, the highest, uh, the biggest donor in Australian history? <laughs> The biggest political donor in Australian um, history to his own party. Did you see, did you see the stuff? Yeah. It was ramshackle looking furniture, though, I thought. The, the you know, whatever they're called, filing cabinets. They look pretty old. Please stop talking about the filing cabinets. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, no, perhaps they were some of the, the tea cabinets, oh, well, I think. We'll just skip yeah, it. They were tea talk. cabinets. Hey, thank you. <laughs> and look, yeah. seriously, no, I'm wondering why... You know, they no one told them about the took raffles when I think of the English House of Parliament, which, please pardon the metaphor. No, it's not a metaphor. It is a nest of vermin. The English Parliament House, and yes, I know it's true. It's a nineteenth-century building. It's crumbling. It's leaking. It's infested with rats. And it's sort of unsafe. And the human uh, people in there have to have to move out. I know it's a shitty headline, but I. 
But really, you think, why is a beautiful neo-Gothic parliament building in London, which is a sort of a World Heritage UNESCO site, why was it allowed to fall into such bloody up Because they disrepair? have vermin in there every day. They no, get but, it, they're elected. But why they allowed they? the building to <laughs> fall... Elected vermin. Why, well, but why see. they allowed the building to fall into this unsafe state? I think, didn't anyone tell them that they can auction off their office furniture? <gasps> and then they wouldn't uh, be in this trouble, would no, they? No, exactly. Anyway, look, another bad office, uh, office furniture. Please go on. Please forget well, what I said. Um, I, I should say it's very uh, very good to be able to be back here after the summer break because, uh, unfortunately, there were some comrades of ours that uh, have uh, uh, shuffled off the mortal coil in the last couple of weeks, uh, starting with uh, Gillian McGuinness, uh, uh, who uh, is uh, uh, loyalty, uh, royalty around here at 3CR. Simon Miller was another yeah, one that passed away too early. Comrade Simon Miller. Most people would remember Simon for the year-long occupation at... Um, um, the secondary school, uh, Richmond, Richmond Secondary, secondary School. Mm, whichever um, I have a photo of my son being thrown to the ground by the police. Oh, he probably deserved it too. <laughs> um, but Simon Miller um, passed away, unfortunately, oh. too young. How old was he? 54, I believe. Oh. Uh, Simon? Yeah. 51, I'd 51. say. 51. I guess no judging by the age of my children, you oh, see. Right. <laughs> Okay, yeah. and uh, unfortunately, Auntie Betty, Auntie Betty Curtis, uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Auntie Betty uh, is famous for running the, I don't know, what he should use the word running, uh, but involved in the Australia USSR Society. Oh, yes. And, yes. And, and the, the Union Australian of... Bulgarian Society yeah, also. That's, of course. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and the uh, Union of Australian Women, she's very involved in well, that. There you go. And she's very involved in 3CR. Exactly. Very involved. And she had a very course. amazing system of um, keeping uh, the listener sponsors in registered. Did she? Yes. It was an amazing <laughs> system. I really admired her for it. Well, if it was just you know unfortunate it. that we were moving into, well, the computer age. But it was, mm. yes, I've, no, I really liked Auntie Betty Curtis. Yep. Yep. It's not Curtis, it's Curtis, isn't it? Auntie Betty Curtis. That was her husband's name. And unfortunately, you know this, Irene. As women, we become Mrs. Jack Smith and Mrs. What was his name? Costas Curtis. Ah, you, you, you take the man's name, yeah. Mm. Dear well, Auntie it's Betty. It's not that I would have would have or did. She always <laughs> asked after you, bag man. How's my little oh, bag man going, yeah, she'd right. say. Well, unfortunately, uh, those comrades have passed on. Uh, but, uh, and news. Andrew Casey also. Do you remember Comrade Andrew Casey? Oh, yeah. He worked at the ACTU about oh, 20 years ago, it would have been. Yeah. Um, then the United Voice. United Voice. Mm. Anyway, uh, that's bad news on that front. But uh, good news up your way, Susan. You're in the seat of Batman. Am I in Batman now? I've moved into... Um we don't Hips really, to heaven. We uh, don't really, oh, you're in Northcote? No. No, no, no. she's up in Brunswick. She's up in Brunswick. Well, all right. Yeah. All right. I was thinking when no, you said hips to he- no. heaven, when you said hips to heaven, I immediately thought um, uh, of Northcote, where, of course, all the, high, the house prices have gone through the ceiling. A, a very different type of sort of this professional is... person has moved in there. And they vote green because highly yes. paid professionals... Yes, well, I think the people around me are not exactly highly paid professionals. Also, the Labor Party could some, do with a good kick up oh, the bum to get it towards the left, back a bit towards oh, the left, or back a fair well, bit that towards the left. That would take a major. That would would uh, <laughs> that would stop a lot of the uh, the flow of the of the high salaried professionals with the. Nice house in Northcote, their drift to the Greens, their surge to the Greens. Well, yes. unfortunately, they're thinking about um, um, putting uh, Jed Kearney, Kearney yes. uh, uh, up for Jed. pre-selection. Yes. Right. No, yes. I think, um, Jed, oh. you ought to know better. Um, you won't win the seat. No. Um, she's well, a she's good woman. Sacrificial She'll be a good lamb. candidate yes. uh, for the Labor Party, but don't fall in because you'll get done by the Greens up in the seat of Batman. Now, I'm not a Green supporter. Uh, and oh, I hope not. What's well, her name? Quickly, remind me. Oh, come on. Remind me, what's, left. remind me what's her name. Um, 
Who? Well, she almost won it last year. Away from, she almost won it. Alex Blaythel. Alex Blaythel. From the Greens. Blaythel, yes. Well she, well, she went really well last time. Well, she had a swing of 9.4% yes. against the yeah. Labor Party. Yeah, but look so. who she was running against. But does it, oh, I could have yes. won well, I think we all could have won. <laughs> well, David Feeney, yeah. uh, well, I time, mean, apparently yeah. got over the line because of Liberal Party, Liberal Party preferences. Party preferences. Yes, but come on, this is the 21st century. This is the second decade. We're getting close to the end of the second decade of the 21st century. David Feeney would have been really well and terrific if we could put him in a time machine and put him to, say, 1954. Mm. It'd go very well. Yes. Just the type of bloke we used to have around our Labor. Yeah. People then, yes. Well, he'd but been not unable. Now. He'd been unable to find his citizenship papers, so he couldn't renounce. What a shame! His is he saying that he's uh, actually Bavarian? No, I, I don't care. I don't really care where he comes his from. His father came but, from uh, Northern Ireland. Yeah. But I, I, I knew there was something fishy yeah, about something him. <laughs> I, I think he's been pulling the wool over our eyes for many Come years. Come out, you black and tan. Um, because I don't, I don't believe that he re- tried to renounce his citizenship. <laughs> At all, nah. and now he's been caught, um, and it looks like the Labor Party will lose that seat. To You're the cynical, bitter, and twisted, bag man. Well, only because they've been lied to so often. Yes, well, the Greens are what I would call faux left. Uh, uh, oh, they're yeah. left because people say you're left if you're if you want to uh, if you're Cuddles interested in the environment. Yes. And I'm but just trying to think what the other one was. That's other fair thing enough is. if you care for the environment. But that's not enough. You stand what, what up you, for the environment. Yeah, mean? Yes, but, but it's fair enough. you have other opinions too. So, sure. yeah, but if you're left, of course, a left person naturally care for the environment. You don't yeah. have to say it. Yeah, but, but you're, just, you're assuming that uh, people that are in the Labor Party and people who are members of Parliament uh, who claim to be left are actually left. No. There's Did I say that? Left. No. Ah, oh, this is very philosophical here. Yes, we'll I didn't say that, but uh, I'm saying well, Greens are not an alternative mouth. left organisation. This I is all on. This is all being taped for future reference for ACO. <laughs> you know that, I read. Good. Um, you can't say one thing mm, and, and pretend you well, didn't, just as if you're a politician already. Mm, the Greens are not left in the sense of socialism that oh. I know. No, I well, what are you calling left then? What's left mean? No, no, I, Oh, this took me straight back to my very, very callow youth in universities. (laughs) The first time I ever went to universities when you had to pay. And we used to have these wonderful conversations with each other and someone would say something and I would say, in what sense? (laughs) (laughs) As you were were dragging on your fag, in what sense? With a whiskey in the other hand. Perhaps I'm succumbing to early senile dementia or something because they say that one of the things about senile dementia is you get these in very wonderful, rich, vibrant flashbacks <laughs> to your youth. Or maybe oh, I have them all the time. Or maybe it was the um, the um, 60s. Maybe it was the acid and it's still stuck mm. there in your body, still recurring. Yes. I never took acid. I saw too many people going Well, I read about brains. it, you see. Oh, no, there were My people around me. me. Uh, People around me were taking anyway, it, running about, in front of the traffic. <laughs> talking about the, the left and the militant left, yes. and we see that wages are stagnated. Yeah, uh, companies are making massive profits. Yep. And this morning, I heard Matthias Corman say oh, that uh, um, he know. he was opposed to a wage rise yep. for the lowest paid people because it would cost them jobs. Yep. Now, where have we heard that before? Yep. And the really? other thing is it will cost jobs. jobs. And don't forget the trickle-down effect of yeah. giving tax cuts to the wealthy because that's going to trickle down oh, to yeah. the poor. Yeah, because they piss on them. I was like, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, that was very, very yeah, yes. close. <laughs> it's like saying, stop pissing on my leg and telling me it's raining. Yes. Oh, um, so what a load. And do really people buy that still? Cost of jobs. Crap? i tell you I, who buys it. Um, unfortunately, a certain section of the trade union movement buys it, mm, and that's don't. why we have stagnant wages. Um, that's why we have um, high unemployment, because the militant left is no longer present no. in the trade union movement. No, we got now, chucked out. <laughs> how, 
But how many times do you have to get kicked in the guts before you stand up and start fighting once again? The ones who are there won't. And you look at the, some of them that have been there for how many years? Even the nurses' union leader has been there for umpteen years. We need new uh, blood. That's the, it, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of those unions we need have got new, people... We need, who, yeah. Look, it's terrible to say this. Oh, I hate saying it. We need young people. Yeah. And we need young people, and there are many young people that have actually grown up all their life now, <laughs> to be still to be young, people who've never seen any left-wing takeover, they've never seen no. left-wing unions, they've never seen militant unions, they've heard about it, but it's history to them, so they really don't have all that much I faith. I offering my services to nurses and saying, look, think about running, yeah. I'll help you, you know, tell yeah, but, me but they need, yeah, that's what they need, need young people to get in there and... Yeah. So look, this might be easy, but it can be done. It's been done, and yes, take it, get some help, some practical help from but someone like you, Irene Bolger, who ran that very successful, <laughs> and then got yeah. thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been it's a long time since uh, 100, 200, 300,000 people marched on the streets, yeah. uh, fighting for a cause that they believed in. Now you only have to look at the the train strike in Sydney, uh, the train oh, drivers. Yeah. Yeah, went through yeah. all the processes yeah. that are applying to the Commission for yeah. protected action, uh, um, uh, surveying their members, whether they were prepared to take industrial action, took it to the uh, to Fair Work Commission, oh, yeah. uh, who then gave them permission to take protected action. Then a bloke came, uh, named John Hamburger, who I think was appointed by the uh, Howard government, uh, said that it was illegal to take that industrial action. Well, what do you have to do? Industrial action has never been legal. That's no, right. industrial action has never been well, legal. Well, then you do it. But you the just point, do it. Yeah, oh, I didn't, as, I didn't yeah. listeners, I didn't no. say you should the break point, the law. But the point is that Howard brought in laws um, and also under yes. Hawke and Keating yes. brought in laws that said if you take industrial action, no matter how it's... Um, legalised or whatever, we will find a union millions of dollars. Yeah. And that's the way they get at you, they by finding the union millions of well, dollars. Well, they need to hide their money. <gasps> no, I didn't say that. You no. didn't say that, that either, was, that's that other person you? who's sitting in, mm. in here. There was that many... Said something like that. Isn't she a court official, bad man? Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, uh, you, but in a legal way, they you, need to hide it. You'd never think so, would you? It's not, that, it's not that many years ago. I think it goes back to 1986 when there was a raid on the BLF officers mm-hmm. and they got wind of the raid yes. and they went across to the Commonwealth Bank yes. and withdrew all their money. They did. And it was a certain person who arranged that and it wasn't Norman Leslie Gallagher. I know who it was. was someone mm. else, mm. and uh, we were given a suitcase of money mm. so was uh, I. to hide. So was I. Um, mm. And <laughs> the person who was given that money to hide uh, put it in the suitcase and parked it in his um, um, under his floorboards. I and, didn't go that far. And conveniently forgot about it oh. until such time as um, he uh, organised some work to be done on his floorboards. Um, no, are you kidding? No, we just mm. we recovered it in time uh, before they started ripping up the floorboards. Oh. Well, I hid I hid it in plain sight, actually, oh. just about oh, under yeah. under a chair in the lobby of my flat. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> where, where they would have, if they'd come to raid, they would have walked straight past it. It was just an innocuous-looking chair in the. I sure. think it's uh, 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 too late to actually charge me. Should but, have got uh, a filing cabinet. They would have walked past that. Please, 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 I've asked you to keep quiet about those filing cabinets in my backyard. And I never ever ever looked either. I never looked in it. But I just left it there and then somebody came and took it away. I tell you what, I knew nothing. That that reminds me of something else from my past, my callow past. We used to do that with young men. They'd what? come to our house under your chair. and they'd be just about, they'd be stuck oh. behind a chair and then someone else would come and take them to another house. <laughs> oh, like, yes, now that they, might they have had something to do with uh, the Vietnam War. Yes, it was. And the, they, yeah, and they yeah. were on walkabout from it. But, yeah, they stood, looking back, they could have been axe murderers or anyone I was allowing <laughs> yeah, to my exactly. house. You know? I actually found uh, the other day a card that, um, that you had to register um, 
In those days, you had the Do you still yes. have it? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Get some photos of it or scan it. Why? I'll do that for you. Oh, take the photos with your phone, for heaven's sake. You've got a smartphone, smarty. Yeah, I But know you know that. Hawk and Keating killed the union movement with oh, yeah. the Accord. That killed them. Yeah. Because well, they never had, they didn't have to do hard work anymore so much as uh, <clears throat> get out amongst the members. They just well, had to put together some yeah. fantasy, fantasy in relation to increasing productivity. So it made, and, uh, it made trade union officials uh, policemen on the block yeah. because if uh, members of unions said we can't survive on the wages that we're earning now or we, we deserve uh, more wages for, uh, for the work that we do... Um, uh, that was the accord, the prices and incomes accord. And there were some people that uh, beat the prices and incomes accord. One was the Furnishing Trade Union and one was the Food Preservers Union. But the Furnishing Trade Union, uh, unfortunately, was dragged through the courts and made to give back um, in, uh, the money. Um, well, the nurses uh, built... built um, mm. nurses yeah, that's right. Beat yeah, it as well. Don't forget the nurses. Well. Yeah. So it but, can be done. Yeah, well, we we were out on on strike for fifty days. days. Fifty days, and there there was no court approval. (laughs) And the other thing was that um, yeah, there'd been a a a judgment by the uh, Industrial Relations Commission, which we suitably ignored. Suitably ignored. Thank you. And just wanted a pay rise. We didn't have to prove anything. Mm -hmm. But you know, the thing is that um, people became. Just more concentrated then, I think, the the unions on other stuff. Like, mm. I think the nurses have gone back a bit to a professional thing where they hold hold seminars and things, but they don't actually get out mm. amongst the nurses and. See, in the, in the days stuff. of the Food Preservers Union, um, Bill Kelty, who was the secretary of the <laughs> ACTU, um, actually took um, the Food Preservers Union to. Um, what was called the Industrial Relations Commission oh, yes, in those yes. days to cancel the award, um, yes. to order a secret ballot, uh, to um, try and have the union deregistered. Uh, when the secret ballot was held, uh, the peop- the members of the Food Preservers Union won uh, convincingly and uh, it was egg on the face of people like Bill Kelty because he joined with the employers yeah, of course he did. in the, in yes, the commission yes, I remember to have that, the yeah. union deregistered. Well, he joined with the employers against us. He was, uh, the, it was his the job, AC, wasn't it? The ACTU put up a counterclaim that undercut the claim we had in the Industrial <laughs> Relations Commission. Mm. I had to go down and front him. I Good. think I've said this on hey, air you before. You fronted him well. I did front him. Did your shirt uh, front him? Oh, please. Yeah. Well, pretty this much. This is Abbott Free Radio. <laughs> <laughs> I went down. He was uh, staying at the... Because they were having an ACTU executive meeting and I'd been given a whisper that they were going to pass a resolution putting up this claim. So I flew down there and I saw him in his suite at the... What's the hotel in uh, the casino and... Uh, Rest Point? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were holding their was meeting the there. And he, he was up in his suite. And I went up there his and suite. I said, yes. And I said, uh, you do this and everybody else is going to walk out and I can guarantee you, mate. So he agreed to withdraw it. But then they tried to do it in underhand ways and other ways mm-hmm. by having, um, oh, I've forgotten her name now, getting up in the Industrial Relations Commission and putting something counter to what we were putting. So I called the media out of the room and said the ACQ is selling us out, which was headlines the next day. And I remember the headlines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I took her into a room, and I won't tell you exactly what I said because there were a lot of swear words, but I did threaten to kill her. Oh, good. Was... <laughs> it's, I think the <laughs> time has passed. Dump button there? <laughs> No, enough time has passed. <laughs> those were the days when unions, uh, militant unions, actually done their job and didn't listen uh, to the heads 
of, mm. uh, of organisations that were supposedly representing the working class. And you look at it these days, the ACTU, one of the major uh, mm. influences on the ACTU was the Shop Assistance Union. Yes. Now, the Shop Assistance Union has been robbing workers and it's been proven in the courts and it's been proven in Fair Work Australia that they've been doing dodgy deals with dodgy employers to reduce the wages of yep. lower-paid workers. Yep. Yet the ACTU still accepts their affiliation fees. Now, I've written to the ACTU saying, why do you accept money from these bludgers, um, these people that rob working-class people, and I'm yet to get an answer, but I'm ho- I live in hope. Well, the person, they have to have a uh, meeting to get them out. They can't just chuck them you out. You can't just chuck them it's out. It's a council. Yeah. yeah, I know that. It's like, a, it's, like, it's like a collective, oh, my God, those dreadful days yeah, of the collective. But surely someone <laughs> on that council says, oh, look at all these things Not you've hardly. been up to. No, um, because... You're robbing workers. We're supposed to represent workers. Yeah, but they're right-wing and you've got a right-wing leader of the Labor Party. You've got the right-wing in control all over the place as if they're going to do that. This is supposed to be the peak body of the trade union movement. And they ought to show some principles and say, out of here. Sorry, I'm going to start laughing. I'm going to start laughing Well, they should be saying that. I know. And this is really what we have to work for this year, listener. Yes. It's a bloody get a good proper... It's cause a revolution in the bloody well, union. Yeah. In the movement. union, again, get more young blood in there. Get, well, mm. new blood yes. in anyway. Get well, the, that the, person the fighting. I think, it can be done. Yeah. We've done it before. We can do it again. Yeah. That person old I old like me standing on, 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 on the in, side shouting. She probably is. She's in Fair Work Australia. No, she's in Fair Work Australia. Commissioner. She, yeah. Oh, my God. You're going to have to <laughs> tell me the name off here. And I'll reveal her next week. I promise. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, she got frightened because I went to jump the table, but one of my um, organisers held me back. Because you're as big as a possum, I mean. <laughs> yeah. She was a bit bigger but than But there, there is a network of young people, and it operates out yeah. of the Trades Hall Council here in Victoria, um, uh, looking after the interests of young, uh, young workers. And I believe that there was a stop work meeting or a march of some kind about the food delivery uh, people like, what's it called? Food Uber. Uber and whatever. Uh, well, they're underpaying their workers because they claim that they're subcontractors. Yeah, they're subcontractors. No, well, they aren't. They're employees no. and they're entitled to be paid proper wages. But you well. know, Labor let subcontracting in, didn't they? Yeah, but we're so, so getting behind these young people. So they work out a trade soldier, do they? Yes, Still. they do. Mm. Yeah, Look, I I'm, think it's called the Young People's Network. Well, I'm going to try and roust them out and find out more yeah. about them and mm. see if we can get behind them. We need to really. Yeah, we can go and talk to them. Yes, rebel rouse. Push them forward. Yes. You know, Make some bombs. And promoting my. Um, yeah, yes. Metaphorically. Metaphorically. That, yes. Metaphorically my, speaking. Promoting my favourite cause. Uh, if anybody wants to see the uh, criminality, uh, the dishonesty, uh, the outright robbery of workers in the hotel and restaurant industry, please uh, go to the website um, ratemyboss.com. Org, and you'll see about the thievery that takes place in the restaurant and uh, hospitality industry. Workers being underpaid, workers being sacked unfairly, workers being sacked because they asked for their legal entitlements and whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a disgrace. Yeah, but the unions are moribund. I mean, just think of any union in more recent times that's actually done anything very much. Well, I'm going to I'm going to cite the CFMU of which I was Oh, part. sorry, yeah, CFMU and the ETU uh, and uh, whatever. Well, I know about the CFMU, but I'm not too sure about anybody else the ETU. Have they done right. anything lately? I'm not too sure. <laughs> but I know the CFMU, but they've yeah. gone a bit quiet lately, but um, they've, they've been, been busy fixing up their um their lovely the, new headquarters. You've been there? No, where is it? I must go and visit. It's where the it's the old 
It's where the nurses used to be at one stage. Oh, have they taken over the nurses' one? Near the Vic Market. Oh, yeah. And the nurses have moved across into an even flashier building. Yes, well, they're flats <laughs> now, the, the, the nurses. Oh. They're apartments, the nurses. Oh, so where's the... It's, next sort, of, it's sort of next door to us. Oh, I must go and must drop it's in. It's very big. It's got some amazing display on the walls. Oh. You'd like it. Drop into the nurses' in, you know, welcome you with open arms. Oh, so. Yes, but, you know, so every head for the hills. I know we're getting on in time, but every time I speak to a nurse, because I love nurses, because they've saved my life so many times, and I mention the name of Irene Bolger, their eyes light up. <laughs> well, they know the history, mm. um, they mm. know what you achieved, and not just you, but all the mm. nurses they at do. the time who took industrial action, um, they know the work that you've done, and uh, I'm sure that they would... Uh, if they're right-thinking people, I'm sure, would have you back uh, in an instant. Now, I'm just about to be handed He's a He's being big handed brick. a wonderful-looking loaf. Susan Duffy makes <gasps> the most lovely well, it's, tasting it's, bread. Well, it's, it's over a year also. now. It's, it's over a year now. It's my 12 months That's a year old. That's a year old, this loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> Me trying to make bread. It's been over a year. It's just well, over a year. Well, you do. Year. Look at it, that. You're doing a good job. That's, That's a secret recipe. I'll tell you about it later. Oh, after you've eaten it. Can I... Can I... Next week, one? okay, oh, surely. You. No, you live up in Brunswick. 